0: We've been on a series of Romans, Romans chapter 1, we took two weeks on. If you haven't, weren't here, I encourage you to go back online at org, and you can listen to those or go on our Facebook, you can watch them there. Um, we, uh, it's, Paul's laying down just a foundation here. He starts out saying the gospel, of of God is the power of God of uh, power of to salvation to lead people to Christ. The gospel is the good news. And then in, in the end of chapter one, he starts listing out um sins. He starts listing out, um really coming telling us why we need a savior. And he's still doing that in chapter two. So chapter two is written to admonish the Jews. He's talking he was talking to Gentiles in chapter one. Now he's talking specifically to the Jews. Um, And he's talking to them, he's admonishing them that the Jews, that living by the law and that circumcision does not make them righteous in God. That's a a shock for them, because they, for so many, many, many thousands of years, they were living by the law. And so they were thinking that my works, what I do, and trying to live by the law um, made me a better person than everybody else. But Paul's saying it didn't do that. And that was never the intent of the law. The intent was really to show you that you need a Savior. And so Paul stresses that by living by the rules and regulations in chapter 2, only brings about, and this is what he says, about judgment and condemnation. So at the end, and we'll talk about this more at the end, that he says a a true Jew, a true chosen person of God, is one that experienced circumcision, not of the flesh, but of the heart. And it's only by the Spirit of God. So at the end of Romans chapter 1, Paul's building a case to prove to the Gentiles that anybody, that the Gentiles are anybody outside of the covenant people of God back then, were guilty before God because of their refusal to acknowledge Him. And in this chapter, he turns the table and focuses on the Jews. Now, the Jews were God's special people, God's chosen people for 2,000 years here. And because of their, this relationship, they thought that they had the right to judge and condemn others. So Paul is showing them that you don't have that right and you are just as guilty as everybody else. In fact, maybe even more so. And so he's showing them that, listen, you've got to understand this, that you have no right to pass judgment on others because they were just as guilty and of doing exactly the same sins. So from a human perspective, you know it's really easy for you and I bringing it back into 2018 to judge other people. It's real easy for us to compare ourselves to others. Now, you compare yourselves in a couple different ways. You compare yourself to others by looking down upon them. This is what the Jews were doing then. But you can also, and that's judgment. That's what he's talking about, judgment. But you can also compare yourself to others and look down upon yourself. How many have ever done that before? In fact, we probably do that a little bit more than the other one. And that's still a form of judgment. It brings condemnation on yourselves. You think of everybody maybe being better than you, or you think that you are better than other people. So that's as Paul is saying here. And a lot of times, the longer we have walked with the Lord, the longer we've walked with Christ, the more we think we have the right to judge others. But this simply isn't so. Even if we are not participating in the sins that people are judging other people with, we have no right because we are sinful ourselves in some way. So just like what Paul was talking about in verses chapter 1, verse 25 and so, that he's talking about, and a lot of people use those verses just on homosexuality. And the way they do it, I've heard people just clap and be excited when, when a pastor talks against homosexuality. Now, now, you guys understand homosexuality is wrong. I, I, don't, I don't mix anything here. It is completely wrong. But the problem is we, don't, we didn't clap when it talks about gossip. Why? Because we do that, right? And that's Paul's talking about the hypocrisy here. And that's the hypocrisy of Christianity. The hypocrisy of Christianity is not knowing that you're screwed up. That's not hypocrisy. That's truth, right? It's when you don't know and when you think you're better than everybody else. That's the hypocrisy of Christianity. That is called religion. You know what religion is? Is man-made rules trying to get to God. And that's what Paul is really coming against. Now, now, James says something very powerful about this in James chapter 2, verse 10. It says this, Whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point. At just one point. You stumble once. At one thing. This is what he says. You are guilty of breaking all of it. That should hit home. That means, oh, I just told a little white lie. Well, you're guilty just as a homosexual is guilty. Ooh, that's just good preaching right there, isn't it? <laughs> now, listen, I understand, I understand that sin is sin, ultimately. I understand there's um, different consequences on earth on sin, right? Right? There are definitely different consequences that happen on earth because of your sin. We understand that. But the thing about here, what Paul's talking about, is don't judge. We have no right to judge. In fact, it's in our best interest to leave the judgment to God as all of us at one point or another have disqualified ourselves from this world. The only way you should be able to judge is if you were perfect, that you have never sinned. And you better not raise your hand. Amen? Now, here's some of the logic that Paul has behind this. When we judge others, and what I mean by the, the word judge here is when I judge people, I'm looking down upon them or I'm condemning them or I'm thinking I'm better than they are. You understand that? It's not about, you can confront sin. You know, people say, don't judge me when I confront sin. And I'm not judging you, I'm just telling what you're doing. Right? That's truth. I'm not judging, I'm not doing with condemnation, I'm not doing it. You can, you can confront sin... Privately, right? That's what Matthew 18 says, right? Privately. And you can confront sin that's not judging. That's helping. That's showing them because they may not know that they're sin, right? So when I'm talking about judging, I'm talking about condemning. I'm talking about looking down upon somebody else, whether it's somebody else or whether it's yourself. So that's what I'm talking about judging. So, so when we judge others, we prove that we have an awareness of what's right and wrong. And that makes us liable for what we're aware of. That we have that knowledge of that. And Paul's saying here, he's saying that it, that whatever point we're passing judgment, we're proving the case against ourselves that we too are also guilty when we judge others. And here's the good news of all that. Instead of con- condemning us, what does God do? He, he extends grace to us. The Apostle John wrote this in, in, in John 3. Uh, 17 he says he says for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him so if we recognize jesus as our savior savior we're going to escape god's judgment against our sin why not because of what we've done but because of what christ did because god's judgment went on christ for our sin he took the judgment in our place he took the punishment in our place you didn't do anything you just receive it and so it was in order and when we realize that guess what we get to do we get to extend that grace to others right? Amen? And this is good news for us. So if we leave the judgment to God, we fully, what Paul says in Romans 2, 3, we fully benefit from his mercy. Now, let's take it, let's turn, turn to Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. And, and look what, what Jesus says about judging here, okay? Luke six thirty seven through 42 it says, do not judge, Jesus said this. I didn't say this. Jesus said this. Because I know there's people out there think that they can judge. And no, you can't. You're not capable of it. He says, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Wow. What you sow, you're going to what? Reap. Okay? So do not judge, you will not be judged. And judgment, what we're talking about is condemnation, looking down upon somebody. He says, do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaking together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For what with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? That means, can you, as someone who is not perfect, are you able to judge somebody else? Are you able to lead them in that way? No. Will they both not fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You, what? What? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and condemn the other person. Doesn't say that, doesn't. He says first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will clearly you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now listen, this is so important. Jesus didn't call that person a sinner. He called him a brother. Right? He called them family. So what I do, how do you move a speck out of your own eye? You admit it. You repent. That means you change direction, change thinking. And you receive God's grace. How do you remove the speck on the brother's eye? You love them just like Christ loved you. His kindness brings you to repentance. We'll talk about that in a minute. You go to them. Say, hey, let me help you. I see something's wrong here. Let's pray let's repent, and let me help you through this. See, that's the believer, that's the Jesus model on how to do this, amen? It's not to condemn, it's not to push aside, it's not to kick out. I had a youth pastor one time when I was a youth pastor, he, he had this, this person who um, they had messed up on a date, and then they were on their worship team of their youth, they were young people. He says, Sean, I'm, I'm going to kick him out. I says, you better not. I said, did, did they, they come to you, or did you, you catch them? He said, well, they came to me. I said, well, that's a sign of repentance right there. They realize their sin, right? Come on. They realize their sin, and what did they do after? Did they, did they keep on doing it? No. They separated themselves, he said, and they're no longer. But he said, Sean, she's not holy. And I said, well, either are you. You should kick yourself off the stage. <laughs> Amen? I mean, if they continue to do things, and we'll talk about that in a minute, they continue to do things. Yeah, understand that's unrepented, that's a hardened heart, but they came to him. That's how this is the Jesus model of doing this. So he says, he says, you can clearly remove the speck from your brother's eyes. Now listen. Now a lot of people say, well, God is not God of judgment because of this. No, He just tells you and I not to judge. God is a God of judgment. He does judge. He has judged. He has judged sin. Now, he's not going around and judging each one of your sins anymore. There's going to be a time you and I will sit in front of him and we'll be judged for what we did or what we didn't do. But he's already judged sin. What's the judgment of sin? Death, right? Destruction, separation from God. Jesus came and made a way that we didn't have to go through that, that we can follow him and be changed. But God is judged. In fact, Romans one thirty two says there's a righteous judgment of God. So God's judgment is right, but He is the only one that can judge. Why is He the only one? Because He is perfectly righteous. He is all knowing. He's all powerful. He's a creator. He is perfectly just. He's merciful. He loves perfectly. He is the only one that can judge correctly. And He doesn't do it like you. And aren't you glad that He doesn't? Because you would be dead. Right? Because I know you, some of you. You would make a lightning bolt. And you would throw it at people because that's what I would do. We would all would do that. God's judgment is right. In fact, if there wasn't judgment, there wasn't a need for Christ. In fact, God's judgment is actually love. His judgment over sin, saying it, was, it kills, His judgment over sin says it destroys, it separates. His judgment so we wouldn't live in death forever. But he also knew we couldn't get out of it. So he sent his son, Jesus. Amen? Okay, look, go back to Romans chapter 2. Let's keep on real quickly. Dang, I gotta go, I gotta go. Romans chapter 2, verse 2. And he says, And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. What What is those practicing? Those practicing sin. Okay? Those continue, who continue, who refuse to acknowledge God in their life, who refuse to repent, there's a judgment. God's judgment rightly falls upon those who practice such things verse three but do you suppose this O man when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself that you will escape the judgment of god let's continue verse four verse three i mean so when you a mere man pass judgment on them yet do the same things do you think you'll escape god's judgment Or do you show contempt for the riches of the kindness and tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads people to repentance? So Paul is questioning, why are we expecting to escape God's judgment when we're doing the same to those who we judge? So he's telling the Jews, you can't do this. When we behave like this, we show contempt for God's kindness, for His tolerance, for His patience. Instead, we need to recognize His kindness towards us. God wants to experience his mercy, but in the same way as we receive it, we need to give it. And that's what Paul is saying here. Verse 5, but because of your stubbornness, everybody say stubbornness. stubbornness. Paul uses this word to talk about us a lot. Stubbornness. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepented heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when His ju- righteous judgment will be revealed. There's, see, there's a danger in having a hard and unrepented heart, whether you are sinning or whether you are judging, because you think because of what you do, you are you are better than everybody else. You think that because you minister or you have a small group or you read the Bible. Through the, all throughout the whole year that you are better than everybody else. That's your Your own filthy righteousness Paul will talk about. Has, it means nothing. But do we need to read the Bible? Do we need to be in small groups? Do we need to be a leader? Yes. All that kind of stuff. But that doesn't mean you're better than anybody else. Because of your work. So in this passage we learn that the kind of heart that causes God's wrath is this this condition the stubbornness that continually to choose to go against god and his word and when you are in judgment of two other people you are actually going against god's word you are not realizing the kindness that he towards did towards you would you like god to judge the same way you judge others no so this attitude this heart becomes callous and it grows harder and harder and, and it all starts in in verse 1 by comparing ourselves and judging others. So it's plain stubbornness and unwilling to change. And so what we need to do is take time to soften our hearts. Turn to the Lord and repent. No matter if it's other sin or if it's judging or whatever it is. That we need to do that. And that's why the book of James, when James talks about come near to God and he'll come near to you. When we do this, we can expect mercy instead of wrath and judgment. It's mercy. It's mercy. It's grace. And that's what God wants us to have. Verse 6. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing, in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth, following evil, what it said in Romans chapter 1, that they, only, they, only, they, they applauded those who who uh, sin, not only their own sin, but others who sin, that they made themselves their own God so they can do whatever they wanted to. And this is what he's talking about here. That self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil. There will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And so throughout this letter, Paul is building his case for faith in Jesus. See, it's all about Jesus. One of his main points and we'll get in the, is that the law, or trying to good, do good, never saves us. As never was the purpose of it. And we see this in Romans chapter 3. And therefore, the only action that, that is, is rewarded for eternal life is the action of faith, not works. And here's why. At the pinnacle turning point, we see this in Romans chapter 3. We'll, kind of, we'll go there next week. Paul maintains that we are saved by grace through faith. So no one is declared righteous by observing the law. No one is declared righteous because you are good enough yourself, that you do everything completely right. The only way we are justified is through faith in Christ Jesus. And what's Paul describing here in in, in chapter 2, verse 6 through 10, what he's describing here is behavior that is rewarded for eternal life is faith as an action. So true faith is always accompanied, accompanied by action. True faith in Jesus always has some action in it. And so he's saying here, in the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action, it's dead. That's what, what James says. See, real faith will always be recognizable by behavior. And so, as, as we, we know, and that's why, why we can, there's fruit that we can judge, we can look at somebody's life and say, you know, that's not the way a believer should act. Right? So then we're not judging them, we're we're realizing that. And then what we do is Matthew 18, we go to them. And we talk to them. That's all about discipleship. And and, and I love doing that because sometimes they just don't know. Because what does faith, what does sin do? Sin blinds, right? Faith restores. And so they just need to turn. And that's not judgment at all. And that's what Paul is saying here. Real faith will always be recognizable by behavior. And what this passage means on one hand is those who who have faith, it's real, natural result of all this faith is seeking God, right? Seeking honor, seeking him, seeking the things of eternity. On the other hand, rejecting this truth brings wrath. And so this is the culmination of what the charge that Paul is doing in the book of Romans is making this charge against humanity, They says we failed to recognize in Romans chapter 1 21. We failed to recognize on and honor God. And verse 25 in Romans 1, we exchanged his truth for lies and the and approved and worshipped other things. We gave approval to sin in verse 32. And we judged others with while doing the same in Romans chapter 2, 2. And and finally we remained stubborn and unwilling to repent, Romans 2, 5. So it makes sense that those who continue to do those things can expect wrath and anger at the end. See, guys, this is why we need Jesus. This is why we need to give our whole heart to Him. Because either we face God's justice on our own merits, merits and guess what will happen? We'll perish. Or we we'll receive mercy as a free gift of God because of the love and sacrifice of Christ Jesus. We need that. See, someone who understands this, and this is what my whole heart, that we would so understand the mercy and the grace of God in, in the book of Romans, that we would be such a light out there that draws people to us. Amen? So we can tell them about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God unto what? Salvation. Amen? And that we can be set free ourselves. Because you focus on your sin more than anybody else. Right? I did did this one time where I brought a whiteboard up on stage and I put a dot in the middle of it. And I ask you, what do you see? And everybody said, I see a dot. But there's so much of this white board here. And you focus on your little sin. Or your big sin, whatever it is. And you focus on it, and that's all you focus on it. But what we need to focus is on the grace of God. Because you focusing on your sin doesn't help you at all. In fact, you've tried and tried to get out of your sin. And all you have felt is condemnation and judgment. But if you focus on Jesus, he is the what? the author and the perfecter of our faith. And when we focus on him, what happens? Grace and mercy, not acceptance of the sin. We're not saying that. And that's where a lot of times grace people go go to extreme. No, God doesn't accept your sin. He accepts you and who you were really originally created to be. And that's what He's leading you and I to. And so when we focus on Him, guess what happens? We receive the power and the ability to get out of that sin. Amen? Because we begin to see how good God is. Remember Romans chapter 1-1? That Paul says, I am a bond servant." And you know what? And we talked about that being a slave. That he doesn't want to be away from God. Because I, I could be free. I could do whatever I want. But it's so good to be with Jesus. Even in the midst of my, my my failures, even in the midst of my sin, it's so good to be to Jesus, to run to Him. And when I run to Him, guess what happens? I am completely changed. Amen? That's the only way I can be completely changed, is to focus on Him. Even in the midst of your sin. You know when you're sinning? Get your Bible out and start focusing on Jesus. Guess what's going to stop sin? Amen? Amen? Run to Him. After you feel, you know, after you, how many's ever sinned before? Raise your hand, please, everyone in here. So you understand the condemnation and the guilt that happens, right? Guess what's the best thing to happen? Stop it. And run to Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. Stop it. Run to Him. Don't be in your condemnation. That doesn't do anything. You know what condemnation and guilt does? It keeps you in a cycle of sin. But what does grace does? It walks you out of that miry pit every single time. Amen? And so we understand that. Grace people understand that. They realize their own sin. They are changing. They are so grateful and honored that Christ would do what He did for us. That He saved them. And because of this, they refuse to look down on anybody else. Amen? And refuse to judge. Because... We understand that God, grace is for them too. God is our judge. We are not. Because we are not fair, we're not omniscient, we're not perfect, we're not the owners, and we're definitely not going to be hypocrites. Amen? 1 Corinthians 5.12 says this. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? We're not supposed to judge. You know, people get mad at people sinning who aren't Christians. That's let me let me just give you some information. That is what sinners do. Right? That's why they need us not to judge them, not to look down on them, not to pick at them, but to love them and share the truth of Jesus. You know, it's one thing I love about Rachel House and what Rachel House does. They don't judge anybody that comes in. No matter what. There's no judgment. They give them the truth. In fact, you go on their website, guess what they said? Here's your choices. The choice is always Jesus. But you got choices. The right choice is Jesus. Now they can choose other ways. But there's no condemnation. That's why they're effective in what they do. That's why the church is effective in what it does when we fully understand grace. So what do we do as Christians? We must understand God's judgment on sin. We know it's death and separation from God. And we don't want anybody to have that. But we must strive to comprehend the depths of God's love for us and for others. But also we need to be the counterexample to this bogus hypocrisy in Christianity. You know how we do that? We admit that we have sinned. And that we're not perfect. We tell you all the time, if you're perfect in here... This is not the church for you. Because none of us are perfect. So we admit when we're wrong. And when when we're wrong, we see the sin. We repent. We say, God, I'm sorry. It's not just about sorry alone. It's about change. I change the way I think and I move forward. And we love people. Because we have many people, listen in here, that struggle with many different sins. And you are welcomed here. Amen? Amen? You are welcome. I don't care if you're struggling with homosexuality. I don't care if you're struggling with lying. I don't care what you struggle with. Because I know Jesus can change that. I, listen, I told you last week, I can't fix you. I couldn't even fix myself. How am I going to fix you? I can't even get my dog to stop peeing on the carpet. (laughs) How am I going to fix you? Jesus is the only one. The only thing I can do is point you to Jesus. I can tell you what's wrong in the Bible. Tell you what's wrong. I didn't write it. This is not my opinion. Okay, this is just what's clearly in the Word of God. But I can tell you this, God loves you. And the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that good news? That's good news. Because we understand the grace. He loves you and He cares for you. So admit that you, you, are, you, you have sin. It's okay. It's not okay to stay that way, right? It's not okay to stay in our sin. Right? And you, you, you're going to struggle probably with sins in all your life in some ways or another. Hopefully we can reach perfection. That's our goal. But you may struggle on and on and on. But guess what? We're going to be there for, with you and help you out of it. Amen? We're going to love others who fall short. And we're going to remember that faith is a hard issue before God. Trust in Him. Now at the end of Romans chapter 2, 28, look at this. He says, For you are not a true Jew just because you were born Jew- with Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. Verse 29, No, he says, a true Jew. And what he means by this, and they understood this, uh, the true chosen people of God. Okay? A true Jew, a chosen person of God, is one whose heart is right with God. A true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it's a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. And I'm going to close with this Psalms 51, verse 16. It says, You do not desire sacrifice. Psalmist is telling God, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering; the sacrifice that you desire. He's telling God this is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. See, it comes flowing out of the heart, and it will change us from the outside, from the inside out. You ready for that? Amen. Isn't that good news right there? Amen? You are now released from judging others. Give God a hand for that. Amen? You are also released from others judging you. Give God a big hand for that. Amen? Amen? And you are also empowered to be like Him. Come on, give God praise for that. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that your word is good. Father, just like Paul, when he enters into the book of Romans and write, starts writing his letter, he says, God, I'm a bond servant; I'm a slave to Christ. That he has it too good at being a slave to Jesus than being out there on his own. And so, Father God, that's how we receive the book of Romans, how we receive your word. That Father God, you are that good that we don't want to be without you. And God, we may not understand. In fact, sometimes we may not even agree with what your word says. But we know that your word is true and perfect. And we are not. We don't know everything. But we know we love you. And we're going to seek after you with all of our heart. God, I just pray for everyone in here, God, if they need change in any way, Lord, that they know their sin... They know what's wrong. They know the things down deep inside. God, just, you know, get them to focus on you. Where your grace is there for them. To enable them to be like you. That's our heart, Lord. That's our heart. It's not our picture of morality. It's not our picture of what's perfect. It's what your picture is. And what you have described in your Word. So Father, lead us and guide us in Jesus' name.